turn to Genesis chapter 22 this morning. I've been, I've been preaching through uh, Genesis now for several months, uh, just kind of taking it about a chapter at a time. I, I finished chapter 19 last week, um, and I just, I may or may not come back to 20 and 21. Um, it's not that there's not tons of amazing and important things in there, but I was led to go ahead and look at Genesis 22 this morning, which should be a very familiar passage of Scripture to you, or it could be, um, because it's the, it's the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham and Isaac. Um, in Hebrew thought, uh, this story has a, has a name. It's called the Akedah, or the Akedah. Um, and, and basically the Akedah simply means the, the binding of Isaac. And as we go through this, this story together, as we go through this chapter, what I want to do, I think the best way to, to kind of jump into it is just to read the chapter. Um, and as we read the chapter, here's what I want you to do, because there are obvious foreshadowings, there are obvious prefigurements, there are obvious, there's typology, there's prophetic significance to this chapter, and, and you'll, most of you probably are familiar with this, and if not, this, you know, even if this is the first time you've, you've made this connection, you're going to see the amazing parallel between the story of Abraham the father giving his one and only son as a sacrifice taking him up to this place, this mountain, this mountain called Moriah. Does anybody know where Moriah is? Jerusalem. This specific place, this hill. And, and as we read the story, I, I want you guys to, to, to make those connections. I want you to to put the pieces together as this is, a, this is a picture of the Father's love for us. It's a picture of the Son's sacrifice for us. And we're going to talk all about that more here in just a minute. But as we, as we look at this together, it's very, very simple. The conclusion that I came to through this Genesis 22 story is that God gave everything. He gave everything. And so I guess my question to start the whole passage, the whole message off today is, if God gave everything, if he has already given everything, what more could he give? I want you to hold that question in your head today. If he's already given everything, what more could he give? So Genesis 22, let's... Let's just do this. Let's, let's, read the, let's read the chapter together again. Make these connections, okay? It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood 
for the burnt offering. And arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, excuse me, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them together, and just, just listen to the heart of Isaac. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, they're, so they're taking this journey together, right? My father. He said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and, and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. Yehovah Yaira. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time and from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. I'm going to stop there. So again, I think it should be obvious to you what's happening here. This is a real event. This is a, an, an historical, true account of this person, Abraham, and his son, Isaac. It really happened. That's not what I'm arguing here. But what I am saying is that this story was purposefully woven into redemptive history for a, for a greater purpose, for a greater foreshadowing, for a greater picture. To point us to someone greater. To point us to something greater. And here we are now, 4,000 years removed from this. 
See, we, we know Abraham lived about 2,000 years before the coming of Christ. And here we are about 2,000 years on the other side of Christ looking back. And there is Jesus right there in the middle of redemptive history. So as Abraham looked ahead to Jesus, we're doing the same thing by faith looking what? We're looking back. But we're all looking to the same person. We're all looking to the same point in history. That's what this story is all about. So there's just very, three very simple truths I want to share with you this morning as we look at the fact, the reality, the truth that God has given everything. The first is that the Father was willing to give everything for you and me. Now, when I say the father, again, Abraham is the father in the story, but he's just a representation of God the father, right? He's, he's a picture of our father, our heavenly father. Now, think about what the Lord asked Abraham to give up. I mean, think about everything that we've learned on this journey of faith with Abraham. He was promised a son from his own body, he and Sarah, well past the age of childbearing. God had given them a promise that, no, it's not going to be Ishmael. You don't have to take matters into your own hands. Trust me, I will give you a son. And we know eventually Sarah did conceive and gave birth to a son, Isaac, which I believe was supernaturally um, provided for. There's something, she was well beyond childbearing years, we know that. But remember, they waited for years and years and years and years holding on to this promise that God had made to them. And finally, they get their son. Now, let me ask you a question. To, to Abraham and Sarah, do you think there was anything in this world more important to them than that boy? I mean, they, Abraham was a very wealthy man. He had servants and armed soldiers and Tents and herds and flocks and people. He was a very prestigious, a very powerful man. I promise you that if he had to give all of that up but could keep his son, he would do it in a heartbeat. Because that son, that, that child, that son of promise was the most valuable person in his life. It was the one thing that Abraham, I would say, loved the most. And if you picked up on that in the story, how many times did it say, because you've not withheld your son, your only son, who you, who you love, who you love. So think about what was wrapped up in this boy. Abraham's hopes. Abraham's future. Abraham's destiny, his legacy, his dreams. And, and that, that's, just, that's just for him. That's just for Abraham and his family. And so this is, all of that is wrapped up and bound up in this, in this son. But then beyond that, Abraham also had the perspective that it, did, it wasn't just for my legacy and my future and my destiny and my dreams and all the things that I get to look forward to. But it's also for God's destiny and God's future and the plan of redemption because Abraham understood that in this son, in this child Isaac, that it wasn't just about him and his immediate family, but it was, God, it was something that God was doing through Isaac that eventually would do what? It would bless all the nations of the earth. Amen. Because Isaac would be 
the child from which the Messiah, Jesus, would come. So Abraham understands this is way beyond just me. This is way beyond just my immediate family. But still, nonetheless, everything that he had hoped for and dreamed about and his destiny, lay all that is wrapped up in this son. And he finally gets him. And they rejoice. And that's why his, his name is Isaac. What, is, what does Isaac mean? Laughter. Like they had a big laugh after the, after the child was born, right? After waiting all those years and they get to raise him and they get to have this family together. And then all of a sudden one day God comes to Abraham and what does he say? Hey, Abraham, you know that son that you love, that son that I promised, that son that means more than anything else in this world to you? Um, I'm going to need him back. I'm going to need you to give him back to me. Let me ask you. What is that one thing in your life right now that you're holding back? What, what is it? What, is it a relationship? Is it a fear? Is it your career? Is it your family? Is it your future? What, what is that one thing right now that, that comes to your mind that you know deep in your heart that you're you just haven't yet been willing and you haven't just yet been ready to say, okay, okay, God, here, I give it to you. In other words, here's what we do. We want to maintain some kind of control. We want to hold on to something, and these aren't necessarily bad things. Isaac, it was a blessing in his life. It's not that Abraham wanted to hold on to something that was bad. Many times what we're unwilling to let go of are not sinful things, bad things, evil things, but they're things that are really good in our life. They're blessings in our life, but we're so afraid of what? Losing them that we're just not willing to give them over to God. And trust him that he knows what's best. And I bet if we started sharing in this room today that there's probably mistakes and regrets that we've had because we did that. We held on to things that we shouldn't have held on to. And we tried to control people and situations that we should have never tried to control. Thinking that we couldn't trust God with them. And how did that turn out for us? Honestly. so easy for us to make a mess of things but Abraham here gives us a good example you know we've talked about that in the study sometimes Abraham gives us good examples sometimes he's given us some bad examples right here I'm astounded I'm gonna be honest with you consider the faith it took for Abraham to say okay wait a minute now I waited for 20 years for this boy and I get attached to him. And we've raised him. And we love him. And we're, he's the most important thing in this world to us. Hold on, hold on, God. Now you're telling me now I'm going to go and offer him and give him back to you as a sacrifice? I, I'm sure there was a moment. I'm sure Abraham had this. I'm sure he had to wrestle with that a little bit. It doesn't really say in the scripture. I, I'm, I'm assuming that he probably didn't just say, okay, yeah, that's great. Let's go. I'm sure there was a moment of, of, you know, struggle with it within him. But ultimately, what do we see Abraham doing? He obeyed. 
And what that does is that says a lot more about what Abraham thought about God than it did about what he thought about his son. Abraham truly was a man of faith. And I think that what we see here is that Abraham is giving us a good example because what he did, okay, and we're going to see a little bit more about this later, but what he did is that he said, okay, and, and then this is where I'm, I struggle, and this is where maybe some of you are struggling, but we say, okay, I'll see the circumstances around me. I see what God is maybe asking me to give to him or what he's, what he's, he's asking me to let go of, but we struggle with that, and we begin to doubt, and we try to hold on to those things, and we try to control those situations, and ultimately, this is what it comes down to. It comes down to the fact is that do we really trust who God is? Do we trust his character? It's like a child. When, you, when, you're, when, you're, when you're a child and you know your parents love you, you, you have, you've been raised in a loving home, not a perfect home, but maybe it's a very loving home. Your parents don't lie to you. Your parents don't mistreat you. You have that trust of your parents, and your parents come to you, and they say, hey, son, daughter, I need you to do this for me. But why? That doesn't make any sense. I just need you to what? I just need you to trust me. Okay, Dad. I trust you. Why? Because that child knows the character, the nature. That child knows who that parent is, and that's why that child can trust that. Even if it doesn't make any what? Any sense? Do we have to explain everything to our children, parents? No. We don't have to tell them every reason why I'm asking you to do this. I just need you to what? I just need you to trust me. And that's what this all boils down to. Abraham was at a place in his life where he said, God, this doesn't make any sense. God, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around what you're asking me to do. God, I'm really struggling with this. I'm sure there was a moment of struggle, whatever it may be. But he said, but I know who you are. I know who you are. And because I know who you are, then I'm willing to trust you with this, even though this doesn't make any sense whatsoever based on everything else that you've told me so far. And so what do we see? Abraham, representative of the father, he did not withhold his only son, whom he loved, but he freely gave him up. And what I want to tell you today is that neither has God the father withheld anything good from you and me. Because we know that what God the Father was willing to do is that he was willing to give his one and only son, whose name is who? Jesus. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave his one and only son. Do you see the language? How many times do we see in Genesis 22, one and only son? John 3.16, God gave his what? One and only son. There's a direct connection there, right? So we see in the Father's heart for giving us his only son, Jesus, offering his son as a sacrifice for our sin. It's the, it's the, the message of that wonderful song that we're going to sing here in just a minute. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch. His treasure. In Romans chapter 8 it says, What then shall we say 
in response to all of these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? What was the question I asked you at the beginning? If God has already given us everything, what more can he give? Infinitely more. That's who God is. I want you to think about what I just said. How can God give us everything, but at the same time, he's going to give us continue to give us what? Even more than everything. Is that possible? To God it is. Because it says, he did not withhold his only son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? That's who our Father is. It says, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look, if God had never given us another thing in the world, but he gave us Jesus. He's already given everything. Y'all see what I'm going with that? I mean, if that was just all that God did, he said, okay, I'm not going to give you any more blessings. I'm not going to take care of you. I'm not going to provide for you day to day. I'm not going to bless you with joy and family and, and, you know, meet your needs and do all these kind of things. I'm not going to do any of that stuff, but I'm going to give you my son so that you can have a relationship with me, be restored to me, be forgiven of sin, to have everlasting life. I'm going to give you that. That would be what? That would be more than enough. But, that he, but he goes beyond that. It's amazing to me. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. it it's just I, it's hard for me to fathom. And so what I want to I do something real quick, because I think this may help us too. I want to look at the prodigal son real quick. Because it's kind of another story that deals with the son and the father, right? And, and I'm not going to go through that whole story, but I just want to share with you, because this is something God laid on my heart, and I think it's something you might need to hear. In the story of the prodigal son, we know we had the older son and the younger son. And what we learn about that story is that neither one of them was right. Neither one. Neither one of them loved the father the way that the father should have been loved. Now, here's why I'm sharing this with you. It's because more than likely, you and I today, we fall into one of those two categories the younger son what was his problem he felt like he deserved what what was coming to him right he came arrogantly to the father he's like hey dad you know what Um, I mean I know I'm going to get my inheritance down the road anyway and it's cool hanging out with you and everything but I'm kind of ready to hit hit the road and go have some fun so would you go ahead and cut my check now because I what I deserve it it's mine, right? It's coming to me. I mean, I'm gonna, when you die, like, you might as well be dead anyway because I'm, I'm ready to get my money. So the younger son's sin was that he, he felt like he deserved it. He had this sense of entitlement. He did not appreciate the father's love, the father's relationship. And so he took God's grace and he went and abused it. Amen. That's, one, that's one place we could be. Some of us could be at a place where we, we just think, we deserve it. And we don't, and because when you have that kind of a mentality, you don't appreciate God's love. But then you can look at the older son 
And the older son was no less guilty than the younger son because the older son, yeah, he stayed and he worked there for the father, but he, he wasn't coming to the father necessarily from an attitude of, I deserve this, but what was he trying to do? He was trying to earn the father's love. So that at the end of the day, when the older son found out what happened, obviously, with the younger son, and he got so mad and jealous and angry about it, why did he get angry about it? Because he said, I've been with you this whole time. I've been working my tail off for all of these years, and you've never done anything for me. In other words, I've been working for you, so therefore I should get what I deserve because I earned it. I've earned your favor. You remember what the father told the older son? He said, everything I have is yours. Why are you acting like this? It's all yours anyway. Why can't you be happy that your brother's home, right? He's, he's alive. But you see how we can fall into one of those two categories? We can either think, okay, I've got to work, 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 and do, 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 and do all these things to earn God's favor and earn God's merit so that when we get to heaven, we get to stand up before God and say, okay, God, look at my list. Look at all the things that I did. Now, here you go. You owe it to me. Give me eternal life. I earned it, right? Pay me. That's the older son. Or we could be on the other side over here as the younger son and say, yeah, grace, grace, grace. I know God loves me. I'm all covered in grace, so it doesn't really matter how I what. It doesn't matter how I live. I can just go do whatever I want to because it's all what? It's all grace. And then when I get to heaven and God's like, why would you live like, why would you waste your life living in sin? Well, God, you told me that I'm covered in your grace. Is that the way it works? It's not the way it works either, right? And so, guys, that's the danger when it comes to the Father's love is that sometimes we either abuse the Father's love and, and, and take advantage of the Father's love or sometimes we, we resent the Father because we think that we're doing something to earn his love. Neither one of those places is right. We don't deserve his love, and we could never, we could never what? We could never earn it. That's why it has to be a free gift. And we have to be humble. We have to humble ourselves to receive it. At the root of all sin, it's just believing the lie that God is holding out on us and that he is not enough. I want to say that one more time. Listen. At the root of all sin is the, is the lie, is believing a lie. And that lie says, God's holding back on you. He's holding out. He, he doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to feel good. That's, that's the world talking to us and trying to convince us that, wait a minute, I've been serving God all these years, and I look out and I see the people in the world, and they're having all this fun, and they, have, they look so good, and they look like they're so happy, and they got all this money, and they got all these material possessions, and it looks like their lives are all together. Is that, what it's, is that the way it really is? No, it's all a lie. It's all a facade. It's all, it's all appearances. 
and we, we begin to doubt God and say, God, I've been serving you faithfully and I'm struggling with my bills and our relationships and I'm struggling with my relationships with my family and my health is, is bad and all these things are happening to me. God, I thought I'm supposed to, I, I didn't think I was supposed to have to go through all this stuff. And we start, and listen, we start to resent who? God. And other people, but, but oh, the, the, the most dangerous resentment is to be resentful at God. Because we believe the lie that he's holding back, he's holding out on us. Hey guys, if you ever have that thought come into your mind again, you need to go look at the cross. And you need to ask yourself, wait a minute, what did God give again at the cross? What did he give? Everything. Okay, so that should settle that, that question. He's not holding out. He's already given what? He's already given it all. And that's enough. So anytime you, you struggle with that doubt and you start to question God and get angry at God and doubt God and be resentful at God, that's all a lie from hell. That's all deception from the world. That's all the temptation of the devil. And guys, it, is, it, it destroys our faith completely steals everything precious and, and all the joy out of our life. And so we see in this picture that the Father has given us everything, but we also see the obedience of the Son. Jesus was willing to lay down his life for sinners like you and like me. Now, let's talk about Isaac here for just a second. We don't know exactly how old Isaac was at this time. We can't really determine accurately how old he was. By all accounts and all the investigation that we can do, and we look at different the, the, rab, the, the Jewish rabbis, people like Josephus, other commentators and people like that, what I can tell you is that Isaac was not a toddler. He was not an elementary school age child. And he probably wasn't even a preteen or early teenager. What we're looking at with Isaac is that he's probably somewhere between a older teenager, 18, 19 years old, all the way up to he could have been up to 30 years old at this time. We don't know exactly. But basically, I want to just tell you he was... He was, a, he was a pretty young, strong young man at this time. Now, why is that important? One of the, one of the evidences that we have is that if, if Abraham laid the wood on his what? On his shoulders, and they had to climb a mountain. Anybody ever tried to climb a mountain carrying, a, you know, about 25, 30 pounds of wood on their shoulders? How many little children can do that? It's not possible. So Isaac had to be strong enough to carry the wood and trek the mountain up to Mount Moriah and take the trip back with, Isaac, with, uh, with Abraham. So he had to be old enough and strong enough to be able to do this. And like I said, some Jewish traditions say he could have been up to 37 years old. Josephus says he was at least 25 years old. So we know that he was a very young, strong man, which means this. At any moment along the way, Isaac could have what? Could have turned around and walked away. Abraham was an old man at this time. When they get up there on the altar, it says that Abraham laid him down 
It says, on the altar, he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son. Abraham's an old man. He's tying Isaac up and putting him on the altar. At any moment in that process, Isaac could have what? He could have broke loose. He could have walked away. He could have overpowered his father. He'd be like, I'm not doing this. Think, the faith of Abraham is profound. Look at the faith of Isaac. I didn't, Isaac's like, I didn't get this direct word from God about this whole, my life being on the line here. He had to trust who? His father. But he was willing to lay down his own life. You remember how Jesus prayed? In the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but yet not my will, but your will be done. And then he began to sweat drops of what? Blood. Under the stress of what he was willing to do. You remember what Jesus said from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen to what Jesus said in John 10. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. See, that's why Isaac was willing to do what he did. Because in the same way that Abraham knew the character of God, Isaac knew the character of his father. He's like, okay, I know my dad is saying something crazy here. Hey, dad, you know, we're headed up this mountain. We're going up here to build an altar and worship the Lord. But I don't really see the sacrifice. You want to help me out with that? What did Abraham say? God will provide. Okay. See, Isaac trusted his father. He knew his father. He knew his father would never do anything to him that would intentionally hurt or harm him. And so there had to be another purpose behind all of this. This is what Jesus is saying. I know the father. The father knows me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them in as well. And they will listen to my voice. And then there will be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason the father loves me is that I lay down my life in order to take it up again. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 18. John 10, 18. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Nobody could take Jesus' life from him because he's God. What did Jesus tell the, um, the disciples? He said, at any moment I could summon legions of angels. To come and defend me. He's like, I don't, and I don't even need their help. Like, I can get out of this if I want to, right? Jesus was willing to what? Lay down his life. For who, though? For you. For me. Because we deserve it. Because we've earned it. So every time that we're tempted to sin, 
we should picture the cross. Every time we are ungrateful or discontent, we should picture the what? The cross. Every time that we begin to doubt God's love for us, we should picture the what? The cross. That is the greatest demonstration of God's love for humanity that the world has ever seen. And if we don't have that settled in our heart and really understand what that means for you and for me, our relationship with God will be a struggle. Because we will be tempted to sin and we will become ungrateful and discontent and we will begin to doubt his love for us, especially when things in our life go sideways. That's when we need to go back to the cross. And finally, because of the Father's love and because of the Son's willingness, the obedience of the Son and His willingness to lay down His life for us, this is what I want to leave you with. You can trust the living God, listen, to continue to provide for us, not just now, but how long? forever. Let me say that again. Because of who God is and what he has done for us through the the giving of his only son, the the willingness for Jesus to take our place on the cross, the demonstration of love that's been settled 2,000 years ago on that wooden tree, because of what's happened, we can still trust God today to continue to provide for us now our daily bread, what we need from day to day, but not just now, but how long? But forevermore. His provision is without end. When Abraham saw the ram caught in the thicket, he called the place Yehovah Jireh, or the Lord will do what? Provide. He says, on this mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Did you catch that? He didn't say it is provided in that moment. It was. He didn't say it is provided present tense. He said what? It will be. What does that mean? What was Abraham doing? From his perspective, he was looking ahead to the what? The cross. Because on that very same spot, on that mountain, 2,000 years later, who would go and die on the cross? Jesus would. On that very same spot. Right there where that happened with Abraham and Isaac, that's where Jesus died. Is that a mistake? Is that a coincidence? Of course not. So Abraham's looking ahead and he's saying, it will be provided that God will send his son one day and that he will die for the sin of mankind and he will be the one who will provide ultimately for everything that we need. But now we look back on the cross, and because that's what we know and believe and understand and embrace, then we also can look to the future and say, okay, because of what you've done in the past now, Lord, I can trust you to continue to provide in the what? In the future. It will be what? Provided. Listen to what this says. I love this. Hebrews 11, i got to read this. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac on the altar. He who had received the promises was ready to offer his one and only son. 
Even though God had said to him, through Isaac, your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham, listen to this, Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And in a sense, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. You see what was pictured there on the mountain, on the altar? If it, in, in Abraham, look, Abraham went so far, he went to the point that God knew he was what? He was going to do it. Like God waited long enough where he's like, okay, I know he's, about to, he's really about to carry this out. So from Abraham's perspective, he basically he killed his own son. He sacrificed his own son. But did Isaac die that day? He got back up. He, he, he resurrected, in a sense, from the dead and lived again. That's a picture of the gospel. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out with, just, with this question, okay? And we're, we're going we're gonna to finish with this. What are your greatest needs today? What is your greatest need or what are your greatest needs? I'm going to share a few with you. Maybe, maybe I'm going to answer that question for you. Maybe not. Maybe you've got something else in mind. But I want to walk through a few things with you. Just a list of things right here that I, I thought about for me. Maybe this is some of the same things that you're thinking about right now. You ready? We need a purpose. So many people right now struggle with life because they just don't have a what? They don't have a purpose to live. Guess what? God has provided a purpose. We need an identity. We need to know who we are. There's a world out there telling kids today that they can have all kind of different what? identities and that this identity or that identity that's who you are no it's not that's a lie none of the things that the world tells you to find your identity in is what our true identity is only who can give us our identity only God we need to have an identity God has provided us an identity you are a child of God in Christ we need peace of mind. God has provided it. We need forgiveness. Let me ask you this. Who else can forgive you of your sins? Can you, like Macbeth, can you just wash the blood hard enough with soap and water and say out spots and all your, all your guilt just goes away? Is that how that works? Can you purge your own sin? Can anybody else forgive you of your sin? But we need forgiveness, don't we? Guess what? God has provided it. We need to be accepted. We need a place to belong. Guess what? God has provided it. We need joy. God's provided it. We need to be perfectly loved. 
Even our best efforts, the people that we love the most in this world, we still don't love them perfectly. Think about your spouse. Think about your children. Do you really perfectly love those people? No, we don't. We need to be perfectly loved. Guess what? Who's provided it? God has. We need, a, we need a home and a family. God has provided that. That's why I love the church is because some of our, our, our biological families and our home life are dysfunctional. and There's lots of problems and, and just trauma and all kind of situations here. And yet God still gives us a what? He still gives us a family. We need healing. God has provided it. We need hope and a future. God has provided it. We need dreams beyond our wildest imagination. God has provided it. You know, I think about that often. It's like, I talked about this in our journey class this morning. I'm like, how many of you, when you think about the way you thought your life was going to end up and the way that it is now, how many of those things ever happened the same? Very few of us, right? Because we think we know what's best. We think we have our dreams and we think we can see our future and we think we know what it's supposed to look like out here. Let me tell you something, guys. That is such a limitation on what God wants for us. His dreams and his vision for our life is so much more. And I look at my life, I look back on my life, just to be honest with you guys, and I've done so many things thinking that I was going after my dreams and my visions and I made a mess of my life. Just absolute one bad decision after another. Where if I had really just trusted God along the way in the process, I believe that he would have given me so much what? So much more. We have physical needs. God has provided it. We need security, safety. God has provided it. We need pleasure forevermore. Hey, listen, God is not against pleasure. The Bible says that there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. He wants you to have pleasure, guys. He's not against it. Two more. We need victory over death and the grave. God has what? He's provided that. And we need everlasting life. The Bible says that God has placed eternity where? In the hearts of men. Every single person that you see when you leave this house and when you leave this church today, every person that you see in their heart, they want to live how long? Forever. They want to live forever because God put that here in every man's heart. That's a need that we have. But only God has provided it. There's nothing that God hasn't already provided. And so, guys, that's why I want you to know today that you can trust him to give you not just what you need, but he's promised to even give you the desires of your heart if you'll delight yourself in him. I'm going to ask our praise team to come on back up, and we're going to sing one more song together. I think that maybe some of you today, you need to do some... Um, I'm just speaking out of personal experience. I think I need to say this. The most subtle sin I believe in a believer's heart is the sin of being angry at God. 
We can, we, can, we can withhold forgiveness from each other. Unforgiveness will eat away at you, that bitterness. But like I told you earlier, is that you may be thinking you're bitter at somebody else. And you might be. And you may have resentment toward another person, and, and that may be true. But what we're really saying ultimately is that who are we really bitter at? Who are we really bitter at? It's God. Because we're saying, God, you're not enough. Or God, I'm not willing to forgive this person and, and truly seek healing for this person. And what we're doing is, is that we're putting ourselves in the place of God. Because God is willing to forgive us, but yet we're not willing to what? Forgive others, and therefore we're elevating ourselves above who? Above God. And we wouldn't do that unless we were angry at him. Resentful toward him. And guys, we can, we can coast, I promise, I've done this, you can coast for years as a Christian and have that anger at God and that resentment at God in your heart and you think it's not affecting you and you think that you've pushed it down or you haven't even dealt with it or you've forgotten about it, it is eating away at your soul. And I think that a lot of Christians, a lot of followers, a lot of believers in, in the Lord never experience the abundant life and joy and peace and all the things that God has for us in our life. We just simply get stuck in this place because we don't ever really deal with that one thing. So some of you today, that may be what you need to deal with. And it's not hard, guys. The first step, the first step is simply to do what? Confess. Just say, God, I have been angry at you. I have resented you. I have blamed you for this or for that. We just confess and we say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me and start to heal my heart. Start the process to, to get to get my heart right with you again because I'm tired of living this way. So whatever you need to do, guys, at this time, I'm going to ask you to, you can bow right where you are. You can pray right where you are. You can stand and sing with us. I'm going to pray for you right now and want to sing one more song together as we close out today. So would you bow your heads with me? Father, Thank you for being so gracious and so patient and so merciful that we do not deserve your grace. We do not deserve your love, but you have freely given above and beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. God, I want to thank you for being so good to us. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here, Lord, who's struggling with fear, or maybe they're struggling with anger, or maybe they're struggling with discontentment, or a lack of faith, or maybe they've doubted your love for way too long, Lord, I pray that you would deliver them from that today, that they would see that you've already given everything that you could possibly give. You have not withheld your only son for us. And that in and of itself, Lord, is enough for us to know where you stand, and who you are, and what you have done. So forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for all these things. And help us, Lord, to trust you as we move forward in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's stand together as we continue to worship.